What's up, y'all? I'm Otil. And I'm Mike. And we are on Patreon. Get on the bus, you guys. Get your bus pass. We put out an additional episode every week where we answer questions from you. Or sometimes we may just get off on a tangent about something important or cool that happened that day or a couple days ago. Yeah, it's Otil and I catching up and you are invited. So if you head to patreon.com slash comes a time pod, uh, you can join us. Uh, you can get the bus pass. We have some incredible merch coming soon. Uh, we've got a lot of great surprises. So uh, we would love to have you guys head on over. Yes. Most of all, we want to connect with you. So uh, get on the bus, y'all. What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. I'm Mike. I'm O'Teal. Boy, did we do a good one for you this time. Yes. Track star DJ from Run the Jewels is uh, on the podcast, and it's a great story, and uh, it's just a story of uh, being in the right place, right, at the right time, and being open to opportunity. And being there for the right reason. The right reason. That's true. And you guys are here for the right reason. Uh, thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. Um, check out all the great podcasts on Osiris. Go check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash comes the time pod. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Enjoy. Peace. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. right on dude fantastic congratulations for all the success thus far thanks man yeah it's uh it's been a crazy crazy last decade so are we rolling already by the way Hmm? are we rolling already by the way okay i didn't know i went to get water and shit so i'm just we were talking about your chair Atil's <laughs> got the de- uh, the it, it, that chair is either Inspector Gadget, remember Doctor Claw? Uh-huh, I'll get you next time, Gadget. That's yeah. like that chair. <laughs> My wife is like that chair is so distracting with your damn busy tie dyes. Let me get rid of it. Actually, no, no, it's great. No, no, no. We, we <laughs> weren't really right. talking about it. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, no, I actually like this Any, better because I, I can. Any, uh, I'd actually feel better if you were on one of those exercise balls. <laughs> I'll just keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a lot of, Oteil, did you have jobs? 
pre music? Like, did you do? <laughs> no. You went right into music. I had one job at a French bakery for like two weeks, Jeez. and then oh, wow. it was just some. There was something they made a big deal out of something really trivial, and I was like, really, like really. I was just like, man, I can't do this, you know. So it, it was good though. It pushed me. It pushed me into what <clears throat> I really wanted to do. I was kind of interested in that, like your story, like because I, I saw something, an uh, interview that you did, and you had mentioned uh, when you were just a fan and you weren't DJing. So I'm interested, like, how did you discover you had the talent for it, or like, how how did that all come about? Uh, I mean, I still don't know if I have the talent. But uh, <laughs> which means which means I, uh, you do, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, I always tried really hard. I, I know that much. Um, you know, I um, I mean, at first I was definitely just a fan, and I wasn't I wasn't looking to DJ. Or, I was just collecting records and collecting CDs and talking to people, and you know, on the on the early rap internet, you know, looking up looking up music I hadn't heard yet, and understand the connections between stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I, when I, so I went to school at Washington university in St. Louis here in St. Louis. And, uh, the first building I walked into when I got there was the radio station. Cause I'd met a guy online who was a hip hop director at the radio station. So when my parents brought me to visit, I was like, we're going straight there to meet this guy, Derek. And we went there and they just had a wall of records. I mean, it was just like this massive, you know, just the, the, the stacks of records they had. And it was like every record I'd ever wanted to hear every record I'd, you know, heard, but couldn't heard of, but couldn't find. And, you know, I'm just like going through, I'm just like, Oh, this and this and this. So I started DJing. I started, uh, I had to have a radio show so that I'd have to all those records. Well, as long as you have a radio show, you could, you get the code to the door and you can come in anytime. So that's basically, you know, Fuck. what it was is it was like, all right, I guess I'll do a radio show. And I, you know, signed up with a friend and, you know, I really didn't care about the radio show part of it that much. It was just, you know, <laughs> just, just getting stoned on a Monday night with some friends and playing records. Yeah. But it meant the rest of the week I could go in there and, and look at the records they had and, uh, you know, start getting free promo records, um, nice. you know, which was just crazy after, you know, I'd always had to pay for all the music I got. And then right. all of a sudden they're like, oh, here's the new records came in, you know, divvying them up amongst the hip hop DJs. Like, oh, shit, I get to keep this? So, you know, nice. it just kind of, it was all really gradual and natural from there. You know, it was just like the, the radio mm -hmm. show, which got me into doing live DJing, you know, and stuff on campus. And then someone threw an MC battle that I ended up DJing. And I met a couple rappers from there that, uh, so close with to this day, one, one of which Tef Poe, I mean, I still work with closely till, you know, to today, almost 20 years later. Um, and yeah, it just grew into me doing stuff on campus and then doing stuff off campus and then mixtapes and then throwing events. And, you know, um, it's been a, it was all very gradual and natural. You know, I didn't really have time to like, it was, it wasn't a lot of like big leaps where it was like, Whoa, how did this happen? It's like everything yeah. came after the step before it. That's kind of the best way though. So yeah, you're yeah. not originally from St. Louis. No, I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, and then I came to St. Louis when I was 18 for college. Um, and then I was here for 10 years and then my wife and I left and we went to San Diego and then LA and then Atlanta and then LA and then San Diego. 
and now we're <laughs> back. We, we just moved back here in February. Yeah, it was like actually a perfect like we just yeah. reversed pa- reversed our path <laughs> back here. <laughs> That's pretty um, great. Yeah, St. St. Louis is a great city. I mean, like yeah, the, the, it is. the Fox, the the vibe the place has is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yep. We went when I was on my way to from the Fox Theater to the first Bonnaroo. Okay. Uh, we stopped at this place that was like an old, it was like a diner type. I, all I remember was they had that black and white tile floor, like an old, right. like, you know, I would equate it to like an old pizza place in the Northeast. You know what I mean? Right. And they, it was hot as shit and they had a very slow ceiling fan and the, and the sunlight blazing through the windows and three white hippie kids walk in and the record just goes, Whoa! And everybody turns and looks at us and it got dead silent and we were stoned. So it was even quieter, Right. but, uh, we sat down and ate and it was like amazing food, amazing people just listening to conversations. St. Louis has always had like a warmth to it that I thought was really, yeah. Cool. It, yeah. Yeah. That, that definitely a Midwest thing. And, you know, growing up in Wisconsin and, you know, I mean, I spent the first 29 years of my life in the Midwest. It was like, Oh wait, people aren't like this everywhere. You know, <laughs> I'd, uh, you know, I traveled a little bit, but it was like, you know, really, you know, when in California, people are not, I mean, I guess California and Atlanta, both people are pretty, uh, you know, Southern, Southern hospitality in, in ATL. And I mean, I, I love California. It's so laid back, but uh, yeah, I'm always surprised when people are like, everyone's so nice here. I'm like, why isn't this how everyone is everywhere? <laughs> you think right. that would just be the default? No. Okay. It's like, just yeah. cause I came from Boston. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's like when I lived in Denver, I was like, why is why aren't more people nice? And it's like, cause yeah. everybody that lives where you grew up moved here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I love a college radio station. It's so cool to go in and like the dust from the old jackets yeah, yeah. and the, you know, yeah. like stickers from, it's just like every nerdy collector works there. You know what yep. I mean? And like, yep. do you remember like what time slot you had? Like, I know that was always like a thing as a DJ. Yeah, I was, um, I want to say I was always Mondays. Um, the first couple years was either Mondays or Tuesdays, but then the, the last two years were, were definitely Monday nights. Um, and it was me and my buddy, uh, Abex who ended up, he designed my logo and, and, um, his company did the, the, all the editing for the RTJ video mega mix that I did. Um, still one of my best friends and it was great. Cause we were right after, um, Mike 2600 and my friend Jim Sheff and Mike 2600 is one of the greatest, most underrated DJs, uh, in the world, in my book and, you know, a lot of people's books. So it was cool getting to see him for two hours every week before I played. Um, and it was cool cause we were at 10 PM, which meant we could just words. So whereas he had, he could only play edited stuff. You know, we had the whole limit open to us. Um, it was like NYPD so yeah. blue on your, the yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. We definitely always, I definitely always started at 10 cause I didn't want to play any earlier than that. Cause then, you know, you'd be limited, limited as to what you could play. Who were your biggest, uh, heroes DJ wise that made you like want to do it? Um, I mean, definitely, definitely DJ shadow for one. Um, you know, that whole wave of like the, you know, mid to late nineties turntablists were all influenced, you know, beat junkies and X-Men and scratch pickles. Um, shadow was definitely the biggest one, but really, really it comes down to all the St. Louis guys that like I could watch up close on a weekly basis and really 
not just listen to the records and watch a couple of videos, but see how they moved, see how they conducted themselves, you know, understand how they built an aesthetic around what they were doing on a week to week basis. You know, I really miss weekly, weekly events that have been more or less decimated by the internet and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just the way cultures moved, but, you know, 15 years ago, it'd be like, all right, Mondays were at the high point. Fridays were at Blueberry Hill. After Blueberry Hill, everyone comes to my gig at Halo Bar. Thursdays upstairs lounge. You know, it was like, mm. it was like these cultural plays where you met up and you met up with, you know, everyone would show up every week and it'd be, you know, just community, which is just kind of missing now because DJing has become different. Everyone can be a DJ. So there's a trillion more DJs, which has got its pluses and minuses. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of spread everything out and made everything more sporadic. And there's just not those institutions, those cultural institutions that there were, um, you know, back in those days. But, you know, it was St. Louis DJs like Mike 2600, Needles, uh, Crucial, Fly DX, K9. Um, I hate doing this because I always feel bad. You know, I could name 75 people somebody. and I still feel like I was yeah. leaving people out, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, Charlie Chance, too. Dan, the man, you know, all the people that I was DJing with and, and watching DJ on a weekly basis back then, you know, that that's who really formed me into, into who I am. My, my good buddy, Cypher sounds. Um, I love Cypher sounds. Cypher's the man. I love him so much. Yeah. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah. Just a, a talented, talented uh, individual, great stand up yeah. comic great yep. host great dj he was on hot 97 in new york city for a long time otl mm -hmm. and he's a sweetheart we'll have him on soon i i interviewed him for my old pop another podcast of mine okay and we just talked about him coming up and he kind of did almost like a journeyman almost like an internship essentially under yeah. master flex and i yep. was wondering was that something that like did was that your path as well were you able to kind of like like Saif talks about like carrying crates of records and kind of like, you know, stepping in when there was a break. And was that something yeah. that pretty much every DJ kind of has to go through? To, to, to some extent. Yeah. I didn't, I never had like one main guy I was under like Saif did. I love his story too. I mean, I, you know, I listen to every interview with him. I can, cause I'll listen to the story over and over. And, you know, yeah. I was a huge fan of, of the Juan Epstein podcast. I mean, yeah. I listen to every episode of that. So I've, I've heard Saif's story a bunch of times and it never gets old. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I never had like one guy that I was under like that. Um, I definitely looked up to all these guys and, you know, was, was down to help out whatever I could whenever. But for me, I guess it was more like a village thing. You know, I was also like, when I really got into the scene, I was already like 21, 22. Um, so I guess I was already kind of like striking out on my own type stuff. And I, you know, I always had like a mind for trying to build something um, you know, just, just, I was very active. I was putting my hands in a lot of different things. So I guess I didn't really like take the time to go directly under one person's mentorship, which I think about a lot. And I kind of wish I had, cause I didn't have like one main person who like I could go to for guidance. It was like, you know, 20 different people. Um, but I think for that, a that bit each. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not one person that, like I could really everything. Um, and, you know, I think that one-to-one -one relationship is, is really valuable too. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I mean, I definitely, um, I actually remember the science, which was like the Friday night hip hop night that I, that I was at every week. Uh, I hit up solo who, um, rest in peace. He actually just passed last 
month or no September, um, which I think is actually when we were first supposed to be doing this, but it was the week he passed, which is why I, I, I canceled. It was, you know, it was a, it was a rough week. He, he was the closest. Thank you. He was the closest thing I had to like a mentor like that. Um, and he was more of a promoter. He was a DJ too, but I knew him more as a promoter. Um, but I did when I was in college, I, I reached out about like helping out with that night. And he's like, yeah, you can uh, sit in the back room and take request phone calls. And I was like, uh, so I won't be able to see anything or talk to any, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Man. <laughs> uh, which, you know, which is kind of like, I mean, not arrogant, but you know, I mean, I, sh I should have taken the, the, the entry level job or whatever. So I'm, I'm glad that that didn't sour solo on me too much because we, you know, we're able to be friends for the, for the next 20 years. And he was a huge influence on my career in so many ways. Um, but it's funny that I think about that was my first interaction with him was him offering me an opportunity and me being like, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to do it that way. I've done that before. Young and dumb. Yeah. You know, <laughs> absolutely. I think we all, so, you know, I, I didn't really, uh, I became aware of uh, killer Mike just because of politics. Because I don't really know that much about hip hop and stuff, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm I working was, on it. I'm trying to get you. Let's yeah, see. yeah, it's, he's he's bringing me up to speed. <laughs> but I was, were you political at all before you met him? I was interested in like how that might have changed at all since hanging with them. Um, it's funny because I'm, I'm I wasn't super political. I was active in like the community. Like I did, I did a lot of stuff in St. Louis, um, working with kids. Um, like I was going to the, the juvenile detention center and doing hip hop classes there and doing a yearly thing where we recorded them doing spoken word poetry and rap, oh, that's rapping awesome, and stuff. Dude. Um, and I'd even started my own little like kind of mentorship program thing that I was trying to get going. Um, and politically, I mean, there, there's a little stuff I did in 2004, there was a campaign called slam Bush where they put together like poetry slams with George Bush as the topic going into the election. Um, and I don't remember how, but I got, I ended up being connected and I ended up throwing the St. Louis edition of it. Nice. Um, so that was really the only like super like directly political thing I did, but I was always interested in community issues and, you know, the culture and, and, um, yeah. you know, I always felt a responsibility as, as a white guy who got so much from, from hip hop culture to, take care of it the right way and try to give back and try to, you know, balance out all this amazing experience and opportunity that I've gotten, that I've gotten from the culture. Um, but that politically, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a heavy political guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although, although right about now we all have to be. <laughs> that, so I'm assuming the Mike Brown thing was like, you know, seismic. Yeah. Personally, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I was, um, so, so that was after I moved and I actually remember exactly, uh, exactly where I was. I was, we were in Seattle on tour and I was going up to a radio show, uh, to, to be a guest with, uh, DJ hyphen and Jay Moore. Um, Jay Moore has also passed rest in peace to him. Uh, another amazing, amazing dude. He was a center of center of hip hop culture in Seattle and hugely important there. Great guy. Um, but it was, I think it was while I was on the air there, maybe during like a commercial break, I like got a text from my friend and he let me know what was going on. And I didn't quite understand what all was going on until like leaving. I called him and I was just like, then they explained, I was just like, Oh, Holy shit. This is 
nuts and you know not altogether surprising if you know policing in america or policing in st louis um but yeah it it was uh it was it was a, a a crazy moment that definitely changed everything for you know for everybody i mean the guy i was talking about that i met at that first battle taf poe he was i mean he was always you know active before that but that really flipped a switch in him and he's become like one of the leading activists in the in the you know in the ferguson movement and just black issues in in general um so shouts out to him he just started uh with some people a publication called the boycott times um, yeah i like it which uh which addresses addresses these types of issues and you know he's he's doing a lot of amazing things so you know a lot of good a lot of good came out of that moment um despite how obviously evil and devastating it was it's crazy to think that was six years ago I know, I know. It does not feel like it. Yep. No. Time has been... March feels like six years ago. (laughs) I know, really. (laughs) Chappelle said it great when he, uh, with with his SNL monologue where he was like, thank God for COVID. He's like, remember life before COVID? He was like, there was a mass shooting every fucking week. Yeah. And it's like, you do Gotta get all these murderous white people out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta lock these murderous white people up. And it's, it's, I think, you know, you hit on something and I kind of, it struck a, a thought it's hard to be uh i don't even know if it's possible when you're a real hardcore music head when music has formed you from youth um, Mm -hmm. i don't know how it's possible to be um unaware of of social matters and social you know music is the the fabric of i mean that's where truth lies really to me is in music i've learned so much Mm -hmm. about culture and I grew up, I don't know, and this is a question I want to ask you about, like, I feel hip hop's sort of regional, where like, I grew up in New England, and I grew up with New York rap, like De La, <laughs> Nas, and Wu-Tang, and all of the New York-centric stuff, uh-huh. um, Jungle Brothers, De La Soul, Common, like, I, I love that. That, to me, yep. it spoke somehow my region, you know? Sure. I felt like I learned quite a bit about I grew up in a f- the four walls of my hometown and right. music brought me out of it, whether it was yep. Bob Dylan or, or Q-tip. Yeah. 100%. Excuse me. So it's weird. It's like to be able to share that, you know, you said you, you started to do some mentorship stuff with the youth mm-hmm. props to you, man. That's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, like you said, I, I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, I, there was, there was, you know, my school was relatively diverse for Wisconsin. Um, you know, I mean, there's, you know, it's not like we were in the, in the country where there was like two non-white people at the school or something, but it was still a white, a white neighborhood in a mostly white liberal town. Um, so even though I had black friends and stuff, I wasn't aware of, of the bigger picture until music. And some of it I learned through music and some of it I learned through resources that I moved towards because of the music I was listening to, you know? Um, and you know, there's uh, there's this guy Upski who wrote a book called bomb the suburbs and then another book called no more prisons. Um, and he addressed a lot of that stuff. And a lot of it really stuck with me, you know, just understanding how, how whiteness and white people interacting in hip hop works and what the dynamics are there and the responsibilities and, you know, um, that really, that really struck a chord with me and, and kind of gave me a direction on, on 
you know, how I wanted to treat my participation in the culture. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it's important and it's, it's important to acknowledge the realities of, 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 of what you're doing and, and, um, you know, give, give, give back to give back to the world that's giving you so much. Yeah. It's hard for me to, I often wonder like how people can maintain racism and stuff and like watch baseball or basketball. I mean, you know, when you're an artist, I kind of expect it to change you because, you know, the music teaches you and being around the people and all that stuff. But like other people are just not inside. I'm like, how do you, what kind of cognitive dissonance do you have to be able to like maintain (laughs) to to keep that, you know, like, because even just as a listener, like every kind of black music there is, except for maybe disco is going to be talking about the things that are wrong, whether it's gospel, blues, funk, you know, jazz, hip hop, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah. How do you, how do you not know after that? You know, but some people can just like hold that thing. And it's a mystery to me how they do Mm -hmm. it. You know, I, I continue to be stumped. Yeah. And it's like the deeper you dig, that's how you learn history. You know, I mean, that's where, the, 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 that's the cool thing about hip hop, just like the Grateful Dead and Fish and bands to me, I, I like to listen to the music that inspired the people yep. who inspire me. Right. So the amazing thing about hip hop and Oteil, this is something that like the Beastie Boys, I all time, one of my favorite top, I mean, they're, they're phenomenal. And just the going and trying to find the samples they used of of albums from i mean every genre weird mm-hmm. like yeah. alternative you know singer songwriter shit to sergeant peppers to you know great old funk and and it was such a cool entryway to the history of music and the history of yeah. american culture yeah 100% i mean literally, literally just last night i i forget what made me look it up but i i looked up you know you used to have to like dig around or like ask someone. Now you can just check the internet. Yeah. Um, but the sample for Biggie's The What featured man, I realized I didn't know what that sample was. And when you listen to the original record, it's hard to even catch what the part is. Like I had to go back and I'm just like, oh, wait, that wasn't there. And then I looked at something, I'm like, oh. So they just took that little part and they slowed it down and then looped it like not where you'd think – it would be, you know, and it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I've discovered so much music beyond hip hop, you know, searching yeah. for the samples or, you know, finding a group that one artist sampled one time, but liking the group. So then I go find the rest of their stuff or, you know, um, see that's yeah, what kind of turned me on. Cause I, <clears throat> I was coming from, I'm 56. So I remember when people first started sampling stuff, you know, being a musician, a live musician, we were panicked. We were like, oh, yeah. shit, we're going to never, we've just been made obsolete. We'll never work <laughs> right. again. They're just going to take it and and cut it up. But then much later on, like Dilla's birthday would roll around every year and all my friends are just, my feed would just flood with Dilla. So one day mm-hmm. I just was like, I found a bunch of Dilla on YouTube that was all instrumental. And mm-hmm. I just put it on and went about my day and I just kept going, oh, and then I got it. Then I started reading more and then I realized, wow, these crate junkies like know more about music than I do. I know more about yeah. playing. 
Right. right? But a lot of them, a lot of white crate junkies probably know more about black music because they just keep, you know, following every thread. So now I'm kind of like sucked in. Yeah. Just like uh, it, it's uh, it's been cool, although I'm coming to it really late. <laughs> oh, yeah. good. Though. Hey, I mean, you know, we we all get where we're going when we get there. You know, there's no there's no there's no expiration date on cool shit. Martel Cognac has been distilling bold cognac for upwards of 300 years. Treasured by royalty and connoisseurs alike, it's audaciously and simply the best. Hundreds of years of artisanship have brought forth Martel Blue Swift and Cordon Bleu. Blue Swift is the first-ever spirit drink made of cognac VSOP. Finished in bourbon casks, it stands alone on the rocks or mixes well on a cocktail. Cordon Bleu is intentionally named after the international emblem of excellence. It's a one-of-a-kind, truly unique cognac for special celebrations and memorable moments. Grab a bottle at a store near you. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWool. For more than 25 years, SmartWool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. Yeah. Well, the thing that I love that I go back to, like, when I think of rap and, like, the stuff that I like, it's uh, for some reason just public enemy. I don't know where my my parents are New Yorkers. It's just Chuck D's voice and his whole thing reminds me of people in my family. And I just, you know, of course, that's my era, too, you know, so I'm into that. And there was some Roots, Illadelph Half-Life. There's some. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's that's my favorite Roots album. I love that album. <clears throat> yeah, that's. Yeah. 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 So I have uh, there's some of it, you know, but I was always like. I was off like studying bluegrass and down yeah, yeah. folk music <laughs> rabbit holes, you know. That's that's good though. Good, I mean, it's, you know, good to have a variety of of interests yeah. and you know, yeah. So how'd the whole run the jewels thing come together for you? I mean, was that something that like? I'm dying to hear this. I haven't heard the story yet on purpose. I have. I kinda, it's a great story. I wanted to hear <laughs> okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I saved um, myself for, for this. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I've, I've told it a thousand times. It really, I'm sorry. It really doesn't get old. No, 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 no. It, it, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. So yeah, it never gets old. So, you know, starts in 07. Yeah. 07 or 08. Um, and I was just in St. Louis doing my thing, you know, doing clubs and throwing events and working with the rappers here and, Mixtape was always mixtapes was always my main thing. Like I put out 150 or so mixtapes, um, and most of that was over like a 10 year period because I've slowed down a lot since we've been touring. I haven't had time to put out 20 mixtapes a year anymore. Can I, can um, I stop you for one second for our yeah. listeners? We have a lot of old deadheads that listen to, and I want to <laughs> make sure everyone understands what a mixtape. Like to some people, it might be like you know, like Mike's summer '96 road trip yeah, yeah. mix, <laughs> and it's like got Rush and you know. I mean, you know, (laughs) so what does mixtape mean in the hip hop world? It's kind of an updated version of that. Um, You know, and there's a lot of different versions of it. I mean, for me, it was always my whole role as a DJ to me has always been. I work hard to find new music. I feel strongly about the music that I find that I like. And I think you should hear it. That's just always kind of, you know, my thing is like I've always I've always dug around for music 
I find music that I realize the people around me don't know about and I want them to hear it too. So they can enjoy, you know, this great <laughs> shit I just found. So that's why mixtapes is always like my thing. You know, I'm not, I'm not the most skilled technical DJ that wants to show off all my, you know, all the, all the technical scratching and stuff. It's mostly just like I find music of, and I want to put it out there and present it in a way that, you know, sounds good or creates an experience or, you know, so a lot of my mixtapes back then, um, so a lot of them were conceptual, like they'd be best of blank. Um, but then I, you know, I had a series called Boogie Bang that would just be the newest, this the newest stuff I hear, which basically I've got a radio show now on shade 45, which is basically just the extension of that. It's just every week I listen to all the new stuff that's come out. I pick out my favorites and put it together and, nice. you know, in order that makes sense to me. Um, so in that sense, I'm still doing 52 mixtapes a year. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, it's just, it's just collecting other people's, collecting music I hear and, and putting it together um, for everyone else to hear. Which, so you you're, know, not, is, you're not remixing it on the mixtape? No. You're just I mean, cutting it together? Some, sometimes I'll take an acapella from one song and a, you know, the instrumental from another and put stuff together. Um, okay. you know, to kind of create a new thing. And sometimes I've, I've definitely always had like some of my local rapper friends rap, rap you know, do something exclusive for the mixtape, you know, just to give it something that no one else has. Um, but especially before streaming and everything, you know, I would dig hard. So I would, I would find music that other people didn't even know was out. So, you know, it wasn't technically exclusive, but people would think like, Oh, no one has this except Gabe. You know? Nice. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it was just, it was just about sharing music and, um, right. you know, mixtapes has always been an interesting thing. Cause it was always technically illegal. Um, you know, cause you don't have, you know, it's not like we're getting record labels to sign off on the copyrights and all that. Um, but it was always a funny relationship because record labels would send the music to mixtape DJs knowing full well why, I mean, they were literally saying, please put this on your mixtape cause it's a great promotional vehicle for us. But then at a point, the industry cracked down on mixtapes and there was a huge raid where DJ Drama got raided and they, you know, took all his mixtapes and he got, you know, legal issues. So it's always been an interesting little uh, thing with, with the industry and mixtapes. But um, so, yeah, that's, 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 that's the main thing I was doing at the time. That's, yeah. yeah, that's like, that's what my identity was based off. Was I, was, I mean, I was in the clubs or doing events five nights a week, but mixtapes was where my heart was at. Um, because I could just play what I wanted without worrying about, oh, there's 50 people here. I got to play, you know, I don't want them to leave on right. a mixtape. It's like, I don't know if you left or not. So I'm playing what I want. <laughs> and if you leave, you know, if you press stop, I'll never, ever know. Right. On. Uh, so yeah, so I was, um, I guess it was 06 actually. So that's when Killer Mike dropped. I pledge allegiance to the grind. I am one, which is a two disc, uh, album. Um, and the smoking section, which is the blog that I later became affiliated with and that my shade 45 show is named after it's called the smoking section, the smoking section posted a song called that's life. And I heard that song and I'd known about Mike, um, you know, obviously he came out with outcast and he was on the whole world and, you know, I'd heard his album and I always thought he was good. Um, but it, it didn't connect fully with me to where I was like obsessed with him or anything like that. You know, I wasn't like that hyped about it. Um, but then I heard that's life and I just like froze and I was just like, why didn't anyone tell me killer Mike's the perfect rapper? Like this dude is like the greatest 
thing I've ever heard. Like, what is going on? Why is this trickling to me instead of, you know, you know, it's just like, and, and those moments are the best is when you hear something that just stops you. Cause you're just like, I mean, that's, that's what we're, I feel like that's what we're always chasing as music heads is, totally. you know, I remember the first moment I heard enter the 36 chambers yes. and stopping walking and being like, what am I hearing? This is so different from anything I've heard before. I need to understand it, you know? Yeah. Totally. Um, Midnight and I kind of had one of those, same shit. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, I kind of had that moment with that song where I was just like, okay, what's going on with this guy? I know he had that album. Now I got to figure out. And I went back and listened to the whole project and I love the whole project. And he, you know, he just kind of encapsulated everything I like about rap. You know, he's like hard and, but funny, but intelligent and spoke on stuff, but didn't speak on stuff so seriously that it was like, you know, it wasn't academic. You know, it was like, he's talking shit, but also saying some real shit. And it's entertaining and the beats are hard and you know you believe him because he's got conviction and you know you just got that presence that he's always had and yeah so i heard that song and it just flipped a switch and i just became just the biggest killer mike fan and i was uh i was playing songs off that and that's the so that record came out um i'm gonna try and keep this to the medium length version of the story not the super sorry. <laughs> I, no 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 uh, no i'm sorry it might take 35 minutes uh <laughs> this was where mike had had uh he'd had beef with big boy so he was on the outs of the quemini he's kind of at the lowest point of his career and kind of starting to claw his way back towards success trying to claw his way back into having a career you know i mean he'd had a, he'd had a gold record working with the biggest root group in the world and then he had the falling out with big boy um and it was you know he was he was cold again and he had to he had to heat back up but i was playing the songs off that record like they were the top 10 billboard songs I was, you know, every night in clubs were like, it wasn't necessarily what people were there to hear, but I was just shoehorning them in there. Like, nope, you're going to hear this. You're going to hear this. You're going to hear this. You have to understand. And, you know, a few people might be like, what are you doing? But always the most gratiating thing to me, Jay, is when someone comes up like, yo, what, what is that? What are you, what are you playing right now? You know? Mm. And it's like, I know they're going to go home and look that up or go buy that record or, you know, you know, again, that's always my thing is like sharing the music that I know about that you might not know about. Um, and I, and I had, uh, my dude, Rob Boo used to come every week and be like, did you play it yet? Did you play it yet? <laughs> Cause the song, what the business is by killer Mike, he didn't know where else to find it. And wow. he was just like every Friday he came cause he wanted to hear that song. Uh, and he oh, actually shit. just hit me on Facebook a few weeks ago, like, yo, I, I want that song again. Where, where can I find it? And I was like, I'll send you the image, bro. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so I was, you know, I was promoting Killer Mike basically like I was being paid to at the time. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I mean, I was just a huge fan. And so he, he had done an interview. Um, and I wish I remember if it was a website or a magazine or what, but he'd done an interview. And at the end, he said, I don't have fans. I have supporters. They can hit me on MySpace slash Grind Time Rap Gang or call me at 404, et cetera, right? <laughs> no shit. So I'm assuming, because this is Killer Mike, who's one of yeah. me, who's got a gold album. I'm assuming this is going to be a recording asking, you know, hey, this is Killer Mike. Leave your you know, email address. We'll send you exclusive, sure, you know, sure. eight by 10 glossy signed photo, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But me being, the, me being the fan that I am, I wanted to know what his little voicemail thing sounded like and sign up for it. Right. So it's like two in the afternoon. I'm in my apartment in St. Louis, you know, just like stone, you know, 
just hanging out in the apartment. I'm just like, all right, let me just call this number. He goes, hello? I go, uh, <laughs> can I speak to Mike? He says, yeah, this is Mike. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Oh, shit. And I was just like, okay, okay, think quick, man. <laughs> you put so, your you know, actual phone number on there? Yeah, like, which what? I'm still, I asked him about it later, and he's just like, he just like, you know, he just gave that big killer Mike smile and shrugged like, you know. Fuck it. Yeah. And he's, I mean, and, I mean, and he's still, even at this point where he's a million times more famous than he was then, he still is so, like, open with fans and we'll give it, you know, we'll give, sometimes he gives out his number. I'm like, dude, you're famous. You can't do this. What are you doing? Uh, you know, but he's, I mean, that's how he is, man. He's just that, he's just open, uh, you know, which I think comes through and everything else he does too. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, I just had to think quick and I just started telling him everything I just told you guys. I was just like, yo, I play your records everywhere. You know, I'm, I'm the biggest fan. You're amazing. And just thinking quick on my feet, I was like, you know, I want more people to know how incredible you are. We should do a best of killer Mike mixtape and have you host it for me. Which is a long shot. This unknown, nobody in St. Louis getting yeah. up this, you know, Grammy winner and asking him like, Hey, you know, do something with me sight unseen. And he goes, okay. I was just like, all right. Like, I'm going to text you my manager's number and you know, and it took some persistence, which persistence is, has long been a, my career, um, you know, which is, which is why I always like anytime anyone asks for like advice, I'm like, just do the thing you care about the most. Cause if you care about it, you'll do everything you need to do to get where you need to go. Amen. If you don't care about it, you're going to skip steps. You're going to not do something, you know? Um, I mean, like that thing where I didn't want to answer the phones for solo, you know, that could have been my one chance to get my foot in the door and I missed it. You know, fortunately it wasn't, but you know, if after three emails I'd said, ah, oh, Mike's never going to host this tape. I'm going to stop bugging them. You know, it never would have happened and I wouldn't be here, right. but I sent all 11 emails or whatever it was. <laughs> that it took. Uh, so we put out the tape in 09 and then, um, or 08, 08. I don't know. It's been a long 20 years. Uh, smoked a lot of weeds. Um, but then in 2009, uh, there's a hip hop, um, conference called A3C in Atlanta. And I went there. That was my first time going there. Um, and I hit up Mike. I was like, Hey, I'm going to be in Atlanta. You know, I'd love to meet up with you. Just give you a copy of the CD, get a photo, meet you, you know? Um, and he was like, yeah, I'm signing, signing records at criminal records at this time. Come through, you know, we'll chop it up. I was like, awesome. All I wanted to do was meet Killer Mike. You know, I just wanted to meet my favorite rapper, right? And so I go there, excuse me, and we took a, you know, we took a pic, gave him a copy of the CD, and I was like, yo, I'm here all weekend. If there's anything else going on that I can help you with, anything, you know, let me know. And he said, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, nothing. And he said, I'm opening up for Rakim. Do you want a DJ for me? <laughs> wow. Yep. So <laughs> put his goddamn phone number out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and, then and it worked out mind, good I'm, for worked him. Out good. Yeah. I, I'm like, yeah. I'm like the show's tomorrow. How do you not have a DJ yet? Okay. I don't care. Okay. okay. Yeah, Doesn't exactly. Matter. Whatever. Yeah. Yes. I will do this. Um, <laughs> and so the next night we did it and it was, you know, 
definitely the most amazing thing I'd ever done in my life at that point. I mean, I'd never been on a stage in front of that many people. Uh, I got to meet Rakim, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, share a stage with my favorite rapper. Um, and so from there, you know, we just stayed in touch. I was still in St. Louis at the time, but then I moved to San Diego and then I moved to LA. Um, well, wait, but then the next year, I got to stop you that first night yeah, yeah, yeah. on stage with them. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, man, let's talk about that. Like how that go? Like, yeah. were you happy with it? Did you blow him away? Were there moments when he like turned to you? Like, fuck yeah. I, well, I definitely didn't, I don't think I blew anyone away. Cause I mean, I was, we didn't rehearse, you know, I literally showed up and he gave me a CD. Like these are the songs in the order. And first of all, I was incredibly nervous, both because of the opportunity with him, but also the number of people that were there and opening Rock up for Rakim. And, you know, th this was this was levels above anything I'd ever done before. Yeah. So I was I was extremely nervous. Um, but having not worked with him before, I was just trying to stay out of the way and not I was way more concerned with not fucking up than impressing him. I understand. And I wasn't even I wasn't even treating it like an audition. I 100 percent thought this was a one time thing. That's yeah. incredible that I get to do <laughs> yeah. and that I'll always remember. And, you know, mm -hmm. so I just wanted to not fuck it up and not, you know, uh, you know, I was thinking about that video of Biggie throwing a water bottle at, at Mr. C, you know, cause the record <laughs> oh. was skipping. I was just like, I don't want any, I don't want anything like that to happen. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, yeah, I, mean, out. Yeah. I, I wish, I wish I remembered it better. <laughs> I wish there was a little more video of, of the night. There's a, there's a few grainy videos on YouTube, but you know, yeah. um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I survived it <laughs> and it, it worked you know, and it, incredible. And I just remember like looking out and just, there's that many people and just watching Mike work the stage and his charisma. Um, you know, and I mean, I was just a fan on stage, just trying not to press play at the wrong time, really. Wow. Um, yeah, so we did that. And then the next year at South by Southwest, you know, we'd stayed in contact, but then it's at South by, I literally bumped into him and his manager in the street. Um, cause South by, I mean, I know, you know, I started going in 08 or 09, yeah. but back then, especially rap was so there, there'd always been a little bit of rap there, but it really picked up in the last 10 years. But at that point, a lot of the rappers were just, you know, walking from gig to gig. It was small time. So you'd bump into just like artists in the street. And I just bumped into Mike as he was, you know, walking to his next thing or whatever. And, you know, again, I was just like, Hey man, I'm here all weekend. If you need anything, let me know. And I'm still, even though we've done the show, the, you know, the Rakim show, I'm still on some intern shit in my head. And I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, do you want me to roll your blunt for you? Do you want me to, you know, go get you a sandwich? <laughs> you know? right. You're going to answer the uh, phone calls this time, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 And he says, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, nothing. And he said, I've got four gigs. Let's go. <laughs> four. All right. And so, Kim's you know, for me. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't have any, any gigs that, that day. So I just rolled with him all day and we did four, four shows. Um, and at the end of the fourth one, and I wish there was video this moment, I've yet to find any video, but at the end of the fourth one, he goes, and I want to introduce you to my new DJ, my new tour DJ, Trackstar. And I was just like, Oh, oh. really? Really? Did that just... <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what that means, really. Do you, do you, <laughs> you're like, we haven't, wait, wait. That would have been amazing like, you, if you're like, actually, we haven't gone over the details yet. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, do, I mean, do you tour? I, you know, I, I don't even know, you know. Wow. What is it? So, uh, 
What and at that time, huh? I, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And again, I wish, you know, now every show we do, I've got six GoPros on stage. I wish that was the case <laughs> yeah. back yeah. then. So I'd have that, that, that moment from six different angles. Um, but yeah, so at that time I was still in LA. Uh, and then a couple months later, he had a tour opportunity and they called me. And at the time I was teaching uh, gym at a, at a elementary and middle school after school, after school gym. And, um, you know, they were like, this is the gig, this is the pay. And I was going to have to DJ for all four artists on the tour. So it's going to be four sound checks and then on stage basically oh. from, you know, eight to two every night. And, uh, I was going to be making like a hundred more dollars a week than I was making at my part-time <laughs> <laughs> gym teacher job with no per diem or anything oh and, and i was going to be leaving my wife in we weren't in the worst neighborhood in la but we weren't in the best neighborhood in la yeah. but i was going to be leaving her by herself you know and to, not the best neighborhood to, to, in la to, to, to basically lose money because i was gonna have to pay for all my food and shit of course and i was just like i can't i was just like this feels crazy. I'm turning down a tour with my favorite rapper. And I actually liked all the other acts on the tour too. So, you know, it would have been cool to DJ for them, yeah. but I just couldn't make it make sense. And I would have had to quit my job, which would have been, you know, that would have left the school in a tough spot. Uh, you know, just trying to find a teacher for the last month of school, you know, with a week's right. notice. And it was the most agonizing, like five days. Cause I was just like, I can't say no to this but I think I'm going to say no to this. And I, you know, I said no. Um, but at the end of that call, his manager was like, I understand, you know, we've got some other stuff coming up, but it's like near here. So it wouldn't even make sense to, to, to have you come out. Cause at the time what I was making, he's like, you know, the flight was going to cost more than we were paying you for three shows or whatever. Uh, he's like, if you lived in Atlanta, it'd be a lot easier. And I'll, I totally get it. Fair enough. We got off the phone. I turned to my wife who's amazing. And she's been unbelievably supportive through this whole journey. And I turned to my wife. I was like, Hey baby, we should move to Atlanta. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and then I thought about it. I'm like, I don't know. I DJ for killer Mike, you know, I might get to like meet like outcast and TI and <laughs> yeah. you know, I was like, maybe we should move to Atlanta. And she's got a jewelry business that's online so she can do it from anywhere. Um, and so basically on a whim, we decided to move to Atlanta and like two months later we moved to Atlanta. Um, wow. And it was right before Mike and L dropped rap music, which was the Mike solo album before Run the jewels that was entirely produced by L. Uh, so we started touring off of that almost immediately after we moved there. Um, and just in the first two years we did, Mike and I did tours opening up for, you know, just like a bunch of heroes, like Immortal Technique. And then we did a tour with Big Boy. And then we did a tour with L. And I've been listening to L since high school. I mean, I've, been, I've obviously been listening to Big Boy since high school. Then that winter, we did a tour with Jizza and Wu-Tang. I mean, I, you know, Wu-Tang was religion for me in high Absolutely. school. So it was just like crazy. The first like 18 months in Atlanta was just like rapid fire, just the most unbelievable shit that I could fathom. Um, and then Mike and I decided to form a group because the first tour was so much fun, you know, and we just, it, we all got along so well. And I mean, we still all look back on that tour. It was just like, 
it was just a family experience type thing. And every tour kind of is every tour you get into this, you know, bubble of family and, um, and that tour, just cause of the freshness of it, we we're playing the small venues and we just all appreciated, you know, and it, you know, we just, we just all, we just all loved it so much. And fortunately Mike and I loved it so much that they were like, dude, we need to do this more. Um, so they, and you know, I just had crazy timing on every level all the way through this thing up to the point where when they decided to start the group, I was like, okay, but this is LP who, you know, has worked with Mr. Len, DJ abilities, Mr. Dibs. I mean, these guys are all legends that I looked up to before I was even a DJ. I was like, of course, LP has a DJ who's a thousand times better than me. And that guy's going to be the DJ for Run the Jewels, not Mike's DJ, who he's been working with for a year, you know? Yeah. But at the time, Al had been playing with a band, no DJ. So Jesus. I just got grandfathered in, you know? I mean, and the fact that I was the DJ for the tour, so I was part of that, you know, bubble. Yeah. Um, and then the second tour, the second tour was amazing because it was, uh, we would do a, me and Mike would do a set, and then Al and his band would do a set. And then we would all do a run the jewels set. So we do a oh, killer wow. Mike solo set and then an L solo set. Like we open for ourselves basically. <laughs> and then we do, and then we would do the whole run the jewels album with the band and me up there. And it was, wow. it was just, it was just crazy. And that was the first time we kind of got to like people chanting, you know, after L would get off stage and we'd all just, you know, he'd be wiping his sweat off, getting ready to come back and the crowd would be chanting. And it was just like, what, what's going on? This is amazing. You know? Fuck. Um, yeah. And all three sets kind of had their own fan bases. There was run the jewels fans that weren't that familiar with Mike or L solo stuff. And then there was Mike fans that were there cause they love outcast. They were then like, Oh, let me check out L and run the jewels. And then there was Def Jux fans, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, uh, that, wow, that man. tour especially was like, I mean, every year has been a new set of crazy memories and I've gotten to meet all my heroes, almost all my heroes and, you know, perform with share a stage with people that I never thought I'd meet, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, it's, it's as, as a fan from Wisconsin, it's pretty overwhelming. Like when <laughs> I, I still have moments all the time where I'm just like, go tell 16 year old Gabe that you'd be doing this someday, you know? <laughs> I mean, I told you, That's DJ problem, Shadow man. is my biggest hero, and I'm like friends with him now. You know, like we, you know, we work together. Yeah. We, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. It's just life. It's nuts. Yeah, it's a special life, isn't it? When you're able to kind of yep. tell 16 year old you. That's a very good way of putting it. I mean, that's yeah. a running theme on our podcast because I, I I still have those moments all the time. In fact, mm -hmm. you can tell 30 year old me. Yeah, you can even tell 40 year old me. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. and that's that's saying something i've been doing it a long time but like even yeah. just like 16 years ago if somebody had told me like this would be happening now i'd be like Psst. dude and I, because yeah. of comedy i've had the chance to meet some of my hip-hop heroes you know i mean like nice. yeah yeah it, it, you mean all of your here music hip music, I mean, comedy, hip -hop, comedy I mean, really, yeah. like I mean, everything <laughs> sitting at the comedy cellar in the west village and like you know in walks Chappelle with Busta Rhymes and I'm just like <laughs> sitting That's next amazing. to Busta Rhymes bullshit. And I'm like, you're fucking incredible, dude. Like I, I yeah. love your shit. And he's like, thanks mom. You know, and it's just like, that's just, but when you're there, you know, grandfathered into that family, like you said, yep. we all have that bubble in that circle. And it's like when the cream rises to the top, 
and you're able to kind of float around in that cream and hang out and yeah. you know, it's, it's a beautiful place. And that's yeah, your, humility, your humility and your gratitude is what, you know, makes you shine. And that's probably, I think that, and tell me if you agree. And I know Otila, I, I think we agree on this too, about 80% of being invited to do something with elder statesmen or heroes is how mm. you are off stage. Like how you hang. Oh yeah. oh yeah. How like, you know, leaving a light footprint and just being cool. Yep. Yeah, I've had yep. guys yep. on the bus 100%. that I had to be on the bus with and I'm like, it's me or him. Like, I'm not, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't care how good they are, man. You got to like yeah. be able to get along with people. And it's just like, Oh my God. For so, sure. For sure. I mean, there's terrible. Just, there's a lot of DJs who scratch better than I do, you know? Um, but I, I mean, I say that all the time is like one of the main reasons I've got the gig is, you know, my tryout was traveling the country with these dudes and them knowing I don't cause trouble. I make their life easier, not harder. I'm fun to be around. Not, you know, mostly not annoying. I think I don't ask for too much, you know? Um, and that, you know, and it's just like, yeah, your, your, your personality plays a big part, you know? And, I mean, Mike and L, I mean, they didn't form a rap group because they held tryouts and were like, okay, who's the best yeah. rapper I could form a rap group with? They got along as people, which made making the show and making the art fun, you know? Um, and obviously if I was terrible, no matter how nice a guy I am, yeah. I wouldn't have the job. But it's not, there's not tryouts for like the very best fit on a technical level or something. It's, it's being in the right place at the right time. It's making that phone call. <laughs> yeah, being available. And then not fucking, I mean, I tell people are like, you know, how did you get to do all this? You know, how can I, I was just like, you know, try really hard at the thing you like the most. And then when lightning strikes, don't fuck it up. I've actually been meaning to make a t-shirt that says don't fuck it up. Cause that's like, that's like my best talent. I think is not fucking it up. That's why I tell my students and they go like, what's your secret? And my mentor told me, always said 99% of success is just showing up. Showing up. And it sounds simplistic, but there's a lot to that because, you know, there's always some numb nut bass player that's going to get drunk and miss the plane and whatever. So like just showing up requires a lot and you develop that consistency, being easy to work with good at what you do, easy to live with off stage, the whole nine. And so I really, but that first part, you know, like being a fan, just mm-hmm. loving it. And then the rest of it, when you do that, it's like eventually, because uh, Colonel Bruce used to always tell me, it's like, if you stop when your ship does come in, you're not there for it because you were like, ah, oh, I can't do this. Or yeah. you didn't, yep. you know, you, you tapped out. Yep. It's like, no, you just keep those got to work out sometime. <laughs> you know? And, and then, that was, that, that was a huge like, part wow. of it for me. You know, in St. Louis, I was super active and there could have been people that didn't like the records I chose. There could have been people that thought I weren't that talented or whatever, but you saw me everywhere. So when there was opportunities, there's a good chance I was around to, to have a shot at it. Yeah. Man. And you know, like, Lightning's not going to strike you if you're in your house all the time. You know, you got to go, you got to go play in the yard by a wet tree. Yeah. With a um, pole, with a pole in your hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the New York city stand up scene. I mean, I would literally have every booker's ear right around four thirty, five o'clock. If anybody bails and yep. you need someone, I'm yep. here. And I would park my car in an opportune spot in That's Manhattan so smart. where I could like hit the 
West Side Highway or hit the FDR or hit like a major mm. avenue across to get to 78th and Broadway or get down to 23rd and, and 7th right. or over or whatever. And I, I, I said, you know, I just, I don't want to bother you. I just want you to know I'm here and I'm, you know, hungry for spots. So, and that definitely led to getting in the regular rotation at clubs because it was, yep. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be on, I'm going to be early. If I'm on time, I'm late is the way I always, and, and that's just me, even with this podcast, yeah. like I'm always going to be the first one. I, I hate being, I don't like making people wait, but I'll get there early. I'll do my time, you know, say my thank yous and whatever. And I knew it was always leading to the next thing because there was always yep. somebody that was going to fuck up. Like you said, O'Teal, there's always <laughs> yes, going to be man. someone that makes you look professional when you're just being you. Yep. That that's, that's really well put. I mean, low key, that's what happened that South by Southwest weekend with Mike. They had a DJ with them. I didn't know it at the time, but they had a DJ with them. And, you know, I don't know the details, but, you know, they weren't happy with how he was moving. So I certainly wasn't trying to step on anyone's toes. I, I didn't even yeah. offer to DJ. I just said, you know, I thought I was going to roll him a blunt or something. Yeah. But, you know, that's what happened is, you know, the, the guy wasn't the guy wasn't there. And, you know, when you stay that active too, you, you learn something from every one of those things. Lightning doesn't always strike, but you know, I was prepared to live these last 10 years because of the 10 before it, where I tried my hand at everything in St. Louis. I DJed every possible type of gig or party. I threw events. I worked with promoters. I, you know, had an email newsletter. I promoted, I, you know, I worked for promotion. You know, I did, I did everything. So I was able to pull a little bit of experience, a little bit of, know how a little bit of how to deal with people and different people and how different roles in the game worked. Um, and I was just able to learn, learn that from staying active and, and not being, you know, not in the house thinking of what I could be doing. Yeah, totally um, dude. I wish, yep. I, I wish I still had that energy. <laughs> the, the, the out six Don't nights we a week all? energy. Yeah, me too. You know yeah. what, uh, you know what else too? And I'll say, the the fact that like earlier you said you didn't hold auditions and whatever it was a friend it was a friendship that turned into a project that mm -hmm. translates in the music because you guys are doing something so profoundly mm -hmm. unique you don't sound yep. like anyone and it sound like it, it, the thing that I'll kind of tag off of that with and I'd love your you know for you to talk to our listeners about you guys go out of your way above and beyond to make your music available to the fans yeah like yeah if you wouldn't mind just explaining you know a little bit of the the philosophy on that um everything's on your the website yeah well you know i mean l l has always been ahead of the curve in like everything his whole career sound wise business wise you know he would do things business wise that might not have worked out great for him at the time because he was too early but then became the standard for the rest of, you know, the industry yep. um, and sound wise too, for sure. I mean, he's been making music that sounds like a lot of music that comes out now since, you know, for 20 years. Um, and, you know, I mean, especially when we were first starting out, we didn't have a major label, you know, the first album was in conjunction with fool's gold. The second with mass appeal, um, which, you know, are like boutique type labels. Right. And they recognized that, we were going to make our money on the road and the more people have the music, the more people will come out, the more shows we can do. And it would just snowball. And, you know, 
we knew that we put on a great live show. So we knew that when we did a live show with 300 people, all of those people would go tell two friends. And the next time we came back to that town, it'd be 600 or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. It was just going to keep growing. And, and um, yeah, you know, they just, they just always, they were just always forward thinking, you know, we've got a great management team, um, you know, all of which have been with Mike and L since before. It's not like, it's not like they formed this group and like signed to a major and got some hot shit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the three guys we're with have been with Mike and L respectively for, you know, f- something like 12, 15 and 25 years or something like that. Um, I mean, L's had, L's had the same manager since he started in the mid nineties. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's like, it's a great management team. It's a great family vibe off stage too, you know, and yeah, they're just, they're just forward thinking and always thinking in new ways to, to make the business side work but never compromising, you know, on the music side. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, and, and like you said, it's, just all, it's all based around the energy and the friendship between those guys. I told them like five years ago or something, I said, the only reason run the jewels will ever stop getting bigger is if you guys stop being friends. As mm-hmm. long as you guys are friends and love each other, I don't see any reason this won't keep growing and growing and growing. I mean, and you know, it. I mean, it's crazy where it's we're at right amazing. now. Yeah, you guys are coming so from fantastic. you know, com- coming from like tours Mike and I did in like 2012, <laughs> where it was like you know, some of the shows had 15 people at them at you know, some small college or something. Um, and now it's like, man, we miss those small three to five hundred person venues. You know, those intimate five hundred person spots. <laughs> it's so funny because I never hear some. I heard you say that in another interview, and I was like, I love this guy. Like, how many people <laughs> do you hear say I finally made it to these big venues? And he's like, man, I just miss. I miss yeah, those I, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's. I mean, it's a different thing. Like, and, and they all have pluses, and you can, you know, you 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 pull the good pull the good out of it and not that you have to pull good out of it, but you know, mm-hmm. they all have different appeals to them. Like there's definitely something amazing about playing an NBA stadium opening for Lord. Sure. You know, sure. <laughs> yeah, like that's, but you that's were talking about that, that community thing. thing, that home community thing that, just, yeah. and I was like, Oh, it just, it made me feel good. But yeah, when, that, when, you know, when you know, everyone there <laughs> paid their money just for you guys, you know, it's, it's a, it's, you know, it's a different thing than opening for Lord. And it's like, uh, 20% of them love us. 20% of them like us. 60% of them have never heard of us, you know, <laughs> and, and are just waiting for Lord. 50% of that 60% is pissing or getting a beer right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but, it, and it's also an amazing opportunity to convert. Yeah. And, you know, we picked yes. up thousands and thousands of fans on that tour. It was an amazing experience, but yeah, I mean, the contrast is, a crowd where everyone knows all the words and is like, yeah, you know, you drop a song and from the first note they explode because they know what song it is and they were waiting. Yeah. One, you know. Yeah. Your fans are like the diehard Run the Jewel fans yeah. are rabid, rabid, like, yeah, salivating, we're, we're really wanting more. Yep. You know, the deadheads of like the cre- like again, cream rises yeah. to the top in fandom too, man. You know, and I think yep. that that not to be cheesy, but that real recognizes real statement people want to be a part of the hang people want to be a part of the inside joke and the and the ongoing you know it's a story that has you know beginning middle and an end and we're in the middle of it now so yeah yeah 
you know, and, and, and Mike and Ellis both so magnanimous with the fans and, you know, you know, we, we all, especially in the early days, we'd all hang out after the show and meet people. And, you know, we're, we're all every day we get a picture on Twitter or Instagram or something with someone like, this is after the show in 2012, you know, uh, you know, it's just like, yeah, we've, you know, it's, it's, it's just been such a fun run just being natural and, and appreciating our fans. And, you know, it's, it's nice that we all had six, this success at such an, uh, advanced age, uh, Amen. to where we all appreciated it. We all, you know, there was no, Oh, this is going to last forever. We, you know, there's no ignorance to like the way things go to where, I mean, Mike and Al had both been up huge ups and downs. Um, I was about 30 when this all started and, you know, I was the young guy in the group, which is, that's not normally the thing for rap groups. Um, so, you know, we've, we've all been able to really appreciate it and not make some of the mistakes that, you know, you might make if you're 22 doing this without guidance. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's true. And that's like the learning from your elders thing, right? I mean, yeah. Or even if they weren't elders and they, uh, you know, you see enough people like die and stuff and you're like, okay, <clears throat> let's not do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I've, I've watched, uh, I've worked with a lot of older guys that were icons since the late sixties, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so you see them, but then when I started burying friends of mine, you know, like even by my thirties, I was like, wow, this is. This is supposed to happen later, and it's just like, no, this is late for you. It happened to them. They started burying cats when they were in their early 20s, you know? Right. And so it's a, just that perspective I really think helped me, like, just be like, okay, man, keep it between here and here. Like, yeah. Because you know where it ends up. Yeah. It's, it's 100%. You know? Yeah, I'm extremely happy I got my party in, like, my big time bullshit partying like the detrimental shit out before i did uh comedy because once i hit the road and got those lonely hotel nights and stuff i mean it's not you know i i I didn't want to wake up feeling hungover and feel like garbage and all that but yeah well it's uh Uh i guess this is the (laughs) (laughs) might be the sign to wrap um oh i I mean it's baby Hi, yeah. little baby. <laughs> cool, she came, well, she came in. She said, "Beach, beach." <laughs> well, Mom says she would take her to the beach after a nap. <laughs> the beach that sounds she's amazing. Two or three, right? She's going to yeah, be three December nineteenth. Oh, that's awesome! My, my my daughter just turned two. Oh, uh, awesome! September, yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, we're yeah. At, we're at that same spot. Them twos, man. Yeah, they ain't no joke. <laughs> yes, yes, she's uh, she's wild. Very mobile now. Well, <laughs> Can't stop her. She's very lucky to have you for a dad, man. I'm really uh, glad to meet you. Totally. Really. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, you know, we 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 keep talking about how she's she's like the one person who's won in 2020 because with no coronavirus, you know, she's only got two friends. <laughs> And both home. if there was no coronavirus, she'd only have one of them around most of the year. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't know the difference. She doesn't. She doesn't have anyone to miss. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. She's that's not like, right. How come we don't get to do this? She's like, oh, <laughs> I hang out in my pen and go to the park. We're still doing that. Everything's normal. <laughs> Just sometimes daddy wears a mask. <laughs> that's it. We we adopted yeah. our daughter from India, and we got oh, her wow. home just in time. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it, She's like, Daddy. That's it. Beach, time to bro. <laughs> well, Gabe, man, yeah. it's, it's such a cool story to like hear someone that like, you know, a fan turn it. I, I, I relate to a lot of what you're saying because and I mean, I second. looked at tough crowd with Colin Quinn and mm-hmm. insomniac with Dave Attell and Chappelle show and all that. And was like, if I could only just meet them and hang out with them, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and then to get to work with them or make them laugh. It's, it's, so I, I it's, uh, it's awesome to hear your story, bro. Yeah. And, that, uh, that, that, that's a line I've been using for a long time. As I say, you know, it would have been really cool if I'd met killer Mike once. <laughs> that would have been incredible. I would have remembered it forever. You know, yep. just it's him once. Right. <laughs> I tell it right, all yeah. the time. Like I go open for Dave Attell on the road, and I'm like, I can't fucking believe that I even know yeah. him, let yeah. alone talk yeah. to him. Yeah. So it's a, it is truly, but it's a good like, just congratulations, man. And and I, yeah, man. I hope I that it. people who are listening like are inspired because it's super inspiring to us. So, and thank you because what you guys are doing is really important and beautiful. Thanks, and it's man. so nice to know there's such beautiful guys doing it. Like, I know that and feel it anyway, but to, like, really talk to you and then really know, like, to hear you say, the only way this will ever stop working is if you guys don't love each other. Who the fuck says that in a bit? <laughs> My kids are awesome. But, you know, like, no, that's true, so yeah. beautiful, man. That's. Yeah. I mean, you know, thank you. I'm. those guys are both so amazing. And, you know, I mean, I thought they were amazing before I met them. And then spending all this time with them, I just, like they're both incredible. And I'm, I'm really just like, I always kind of saw my, my place as like wanting to support artists that I care that I thought were, ta- cause I don't, I don't think I'm talented, especially, you know, but I saw people around me. I'm like, I want to be a part of these guys having more success than they would have without me. I want to be a part of supporting them getting to where they're supposed to go. So it's, it's really gratifying to do that with, you know, it's not who I thought I was going to be doing with at the beginning, but yeah. you know, anything I can do to, to help Mike and L have a bigger platform. I mean, I texted Mike the other week because when we did that mixtape, I was like, the point was more people need to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And now everyone gets to hear what he has <laughs> He's to fucking say. Amazing, you know? So dude. it turns out you um, were right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's a beautiful, and you, know, uh, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, literally this year has been full of dark, awful, oh. depressing points and at one of the worst, if not the worst, up comes killer Mike on my TV and he is leaning forward and standing up and talking and, and with such force. And it was like, you know, in such a leaderless time, it's like, thanks yeah. dude. Like really th- like he's him and Nina Turner. Like I can name like five people yeah. that just where I was just like, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I know all the people around that just like that's, um, that's holy work, man. That's that's the real stuff. That's the yeah. only way we're gonna win because the you know darkness is trying to win this thing, and they're not playing around. Yeah. So the only way we win is that is that love, man. Yeah. That's the only way. Yeah. They could. So. Thank you so much, Thank man. I wish I didn't have to go, but Absolutely. apparently I gotta go. Come back <laughs> again, man. Let's hang again yeah. soon. Yeah, for sure. For sure, I'm down. All right, brother. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. All and right. thank you to all of our listeners uh, for yet another Comes a Time pod. Go check out everything Run the Jewels. And uh, thanks to Gabe. And tune in next week. Peace. On the dreams, Peace. Still When it comes to work, 
Communication is key, even if you don't have a writing job. Sounding unconfident, indecisive, or passive-aggressive can hold you back professionally and hurt your team's productivity. Grammarly Premium's advanced tone suggestions make sure you're always sending the right message. Sound clear and confident in your writing and automatically replace negative-leaning language with solution-focused alternatives. With Grammarly's help, you can build stronger relationships at work, be constructive in the face of challenges, and help your team get things done. Grammarly works where you do, so your team's projects get done before the deadline. And with features like comprehensive spelling, grammar, and clarity-focused sentence rewrites, Grammarly helps keep your writing efficient and mistake-free. The right tone can move any project forward. Get it just right with Grammarly. Go to grammarly.com slash podcast to sign up for free. Then get 20% off when you upgrade to premium. That's 20% off at grammarly.com slash podcast. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 